what are you changing? What are you changing forever? My passion is I like to change things forever and for good and for good literally meaning forever and for good meaning better than they were before. There's always an aha moment. So I encourage everyone, find that shift. What is that one shift on the brand? And if you make that shift, which is going to be based on the insights, what is the one thing you can change that would create the biggest shift? Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PG Alumni Podcast. I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. And I'm Andrew Tarvin, humor engineer. Roman and I both got our start at PG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about. It's kind of like being a fly on the wall for my mentoring coffees. On today's show, we're talking to PG alumni leader Vince Hudson, Senior Vice President of Brand Strategy and Marketing Operations at American Express. Yeah, Drew, I really liked this one because Vince is just a really cool guy. And, and you guys talked about leaving an impact wherever you work. It has a great conversation, not only about work stuff, but life stuff as well. Here's a quick bio. Vince Hudson is kind of the definition of a big brand marketing executive, and he's an all-around great guy. He's currently at American Express, where he's Senior Vice President of Enterprise Marketing Strategy. And of course, Vince got his start at Procter & Gamble, where he helped launch two of P&G's blockbuster brands, Crest White Strips and Prilosect OTC. He grew CoverGirl to be the first billion-dollar cosmetic brand when he signed top names like Rihanna, Drew Barrymore, Ellen Taylor Swift, and Queen Lativa to the brand. He ultimately became GM slash VP at P&G Beauty, leading P&G Beauty's business in Asia. After leaving P&G, Vince wore some pretty senior marketing hats at both Samsung and Diageo. He then became chief brand officer at BET before starting at American Express. Vince has been named among Brand Week's Marketers of the Next Generation and Ad Age's Top 40 Under 40 Marketers. And most importantly, he's a family man. His wife is also a former PNGer, and together they have three daughters. Yeah, man. I can't say this enough. I love that he's passionate about the important things in life, and, and work gets to be one of them, you know? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's one of the things that he actually calls out specifically that you know, he has three big passions in life, those being marketing, hip hop and love. All right. Well, I'm passionate about one of those. <laughs> Only one? Which one? Well, I mean, look, I think most folks who know me know that I kind of have this love hate relationship with marketing, which is why you're not interviewing me on this podcast. <laughs> and what I will say is I think John Lennon was right when he said love is all we need. Okay, so love is the one you love. And what about hip hop? <sighs> All right. So you know how like my, my dirty secret is like I'm a fake sports fan. Mm -hmm. Actually, you know what? I'm less of a sports fan than a hip hop fan. I, I enjoy I don't know the medium as well as I do rock. But like when I listen to the greats, I know I'm listening to the greats. So, for example, and this is kind of a nerdy confession, Drew, I can get some awesome PowerPoints done to run the jewels, Wu-Tang and the Beastie Boys, if you call them hip hop. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they had in mind when they were creating their music is how do we create corporate productivity? <laughs> Well, you know, one thing I will say, rock was kind of the activist piece of the music scene and culture in the 60s. And hip hop, I'm a pretty socially active guy, you know this. I think hip hop has taken that mantle in the 90s, the 2000s, and all the way up to right now. You know, in the case of like Run the Jewels, not only are they active on political campaign trail, I like how active in society hip hop has become beyond just an entertainment medium. So more than just PowerPoint decks, I guess. Yeah, I think part of that stems from it's a very, a lot of a lot of hip hop is about people's experiences growing up or what they're seeing in their community. So I think I think you're spot on that a lot of that happens. So I got to ask, of Vince's three passions of marketing hip hop and love, which one or ones are you the most passionate about? Uh, well, I am not good at marketing. <laughs> it's kind of the thing that I'm worst at in my business of doing my own business. It's it's more like, let me just do the work and people will find out about it as opposed to packaging it up in a way that people understand. So I'm not great at that. I am a huge hip hop fan, grew up on it, love it. And that's something that Vince and I chat a little bit about our Mount Rushmore of hip hop, which we seem to be in alignment on. You said alignment. <laughs> you guys are such <laughs> nerds. 
we can we can land on our hip hop favorite, right? And as soon as we get there, I have their OGSM and understand where they're headed now. <laughs> I'm fascinated by kind of the study of love, of parsing it apart, taking it apart, understanding. And that's what Vince is talking about, not just, of course, having the feeling of love, but kind of understanding what it means. And he actually mentioned a book. That book was one my fiance had just told me about the day before. She was like, I think this is something we can both read. We can both understand, make sure that we're on the same page, that loving isn't this, you know, just romantic love where you fall in love and it's an easy fairy tale, but more love is a choice. Love is work. Love is is more than that, that feeling. And it's something that I agree with. Oh, I look forward to seeing the critical path schedule you and your fiance have for reading said book. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to align on different ideas. You know, we have talked about, you know, joint goals and partnership in, in more ways than one. So I think that's okay. But uh, no. That's kind of the thing we hear from Vince in this intersection and this weaving through of his three passions of marketing hip hop and love together in a fantastic conversation with a lot of really, I would say, powerful insights, not only into business and work, but also into kind of the current environment. So let's dive right in. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Vince. Vince, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Andrew, thanks for having me. Yeah. So many of you, many people may already know your professional story. So you, you graduated from Dillard University with a BA in business in 1993 before starting your career as an ABM for Fixident at PNG. From there, you moved on to a couple of ABM roles, then brand manager for e-commerce and Crest White Strips, then moved on to marketing director positions and general manager, ultimately for beauty care in the Asian region. After leaving PNG, you went to Samsung to be their VP of Marketing Strategy, then Diageo, then you were Chief Brand Officer at BET, and now you are Senior Vice President of Brand Strategy and Marketing Operations at American Express, which is quite an impressive career. And so my, my first question for you is, growing up in Louisiana, was that the career you imagined you would have? Like, what did 10-year-old Vince want to be growing up in Shreveport? Wow. I just had listening to the litany of different assignments and companies. It just makes it makes me feel so old. <laughs> and then I got to go back and compare that to my 10 yeah. year old self. Right. So my 10 year old self did not know the term brand management, but he loved watching television and and actually even watching commercials. But that had my dreams at that point were to be a scientist my dream job would be to be a scientist. And I think it, it's an odd habit as a child. I used to play with ants. So we had like red ants and outside and so on our on our driveway. And so I'd stir them up and put them in plastic containers and just watch what they would do and feed them different things. And, and yes, take a couple of bites, stings. But it was just, I always just wanted to figure things out and figure out why. So I thought being a scientist would be the thing. But then I got into chemistry classes and biology classes. And I said, nah, I think I'm just going to focus more on business. Yeah, it's amazing how sometimes schoolwork can kind of change your perception. Like, okay, this isn't maybe quite what I thought it was. And do you remember the first way that you made money growing up? Was it like once you got into college where you like doing chores or doing other things as a kid? We didn't really have the allowance thing. I just, I had to do chores for free yeah. <laughs> at my house. <laughs> And, and a lot of people in my neighborhood, I grew up in the inner, inner city, pretty rough neighborhood in Shreveport, Louisiana, growing up during the kind of 80s. And, and in that situation, you don't want to, a lot of kids were selling candy. Like you could go buy a big, you know, box of now and laters or something and then you'd sell them and make cash. But it wasn't that safe to carry cash around from the candy. <laughs> so you actually, actually had to be pretty tough in the streets to, to make that work. So I didn't, I didn't jump into the candy selling game. So my first time making money would have been really as an internship when I got to Dillard. Well, actually it was Kroger. I started working at Kroger grocery store in Shreveport. And I was bagging groceries and pushing the carts out and, <laughs> and enjoying those tips. And I was like, this yeah. tip game is great. So it was, uh, that was my first experience making money. And, and yeah, so then after that, you go, to, you go to Dillard and you graduate and you start your job at PNG and you join Fixident, which, forgive me if I'm wrong, I might be incorrect about this. It's not the sexiest brand. 
Oh, hey man. now, I know. I'm sorry. If, you're, if you're if you can't eat, <laughs> it's sexy to you. If you, oh, can, if you can't chew your food, huh? that's fair. That's so yeah, how did you how did you feel about that being kind of you go to go through school, you're learning marketing, and and you start on on this brand? How did you feel with that first assignment? Well, I guess the the company I was goes sorry the company took a, a, a chance on a kind of Louisiana guy coming up, and I think Fix It was probably a safe starting ground. It was interesting because I started it. PNG with one of my roommate who I moved in with when we started in Cincinnati. We lived in Fort, Fort Wright, Kentucky. And so Marcus was from Morehouse College. I was coming from Dillard. We met in undergrad, really just hanging out, hanging out at different parties and events. And then we happened to get the same job at, at PNG and brand management. And we said, Oh, you're going to Cincinnati. Why are you going to Cincinnati? PNG? Oh, you too. So we just it just happened like that. And so Marcus had interned before. And so he ended up being on Pantene. So this is when Tyra Banks was, you know, still doing early modeling. So he's saying that we didn't have email or text at the time, but he's gone like, Vince, I was on a boat today with Tyra Banks on a Pantene shoot. And I was like, he said, what were you up to? I was, I was in focus groups in Kentucky watching people take their teeth out and put them on the table. <laughs> and so it was a contrast, but I love fixing it though. Yeah. And were there any any lessons that kind of stuck with you from those early kind of assignments that you've now brought with you in your career? Anything that stands out? Yeah. One is that I really, it's a test of if you really love marketing or if you just love the product. So I couldn't obviously use Fixident at the time, but I loved marketing. Even in my experience on Fixident, I, I would never replace it. And because I wasn't on Pantene, I was on Fix, but I still loved it. That was just proof that this thing called brand management was my thing because it didn't matter what product it was. I got just, I got just as into it and figuring out how to improve consumers experience with products and communicate to that to them and innovate around their needs and just met some great coaches diana shaheen john steiker my abm coaches were just you know i just learned so much during those first two years yeah that's a great point that if you liked brand management on that then it shows you that you actually like the the role itself and and so i know as you progress through your career one of your at least on some research one of the big highlights certainly is Crest White Strips in terms of its success. And then also reading some stories. So is it is it true that you whitened only the top part of your teeth to be able to demo the product and show the contrast? Is that true? That is very true. I probably still have whiter teeth on top than the bottom because of that experience, even though it was so long ago. And it was really coming out of the product worked so well, but people just didn't believe it. They didn't believe the benefit because if you would show just white teeth, they would say your teeth have always been white. And so it was like, so by using it on top, I was like, well, let's just see for me if it works. So it really started as a test for me to see if this product really works. And then it was such a noticeable difference. I would go and show the brand team and show product development, people like Paul Sagal and R&D that I work with. And then I got a chance to show that Dirk Yager at the time, CEO. And, and it was also a way to get more funding and more attention to white strips because I would show the benefit and that just made, wow, this thing really works. Let's make it bigger. So it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy just because of the noticeable difference. I'd show dentists and focus groups. So it was a great walking demo. Yeah, yeah which it shows, like you said, it, it shows it right there to their face. But I'm, I'm curious from a, an employee perspective, why give that level of a commitment almost? That seems like, okay, now you're trading into like this kind of personal, this is now affecting you personally, not just a brand you're working on. It's always been personal with me. I think it goes back to that, that want to, want to be a scientist without going through all those chemistry classes. It's figuring out and just getting excited about making a difference. And so a product that just, that made a difference like that, I want to believe in it first. On CoverGirl, I gave myself a smoky eye, you know, eyeshadow look. You know, it wasn't the the best job, but I, I figured out how to give a smoky eye makeup look on my on myself. Just just getting into the category and totally immersing yourself is something that it just comes naturally, and I don't think it's weird. Other people probably do. Well, I, I mean, I love the idea of making making your role personal, owning that experience to kind of say, if you're going to do the work, you might as well kind of do the work. In your way, and and so it, and it seems like that's been a reason. Maybe it's a reason for some of these successes, right? Because you have the Crest White Strips launch, which goes very well. You helped to move Prilosec from prescription to over the counter. 
You were named at one point marketers of the next generation by Brand Week, top 40 marketers under 40 by Ad Age. Has it always been success after success after success? Because that's kind of what we, we see from the resume perspective. Have there, have there been times where something hasn't quite worked out the way you thought they might? Yeah, for sure. And, and, and even in those examples of success, you read about the success, but not about the hiccups before they, before they launched, right? So, and with just a one meeting or one interaction different, some of those could have turned out another way. And even on wide strips. So the product was challenged for a while because when you work on new business, new business development, right? NBD was the group at that point. You could work on something for two years and have it never launch, right? And so then you've kind of been in this no man's land of new product stuff that does, doesn't ever see the light of day. But I got to credit Paul Alexander, he worked in at that time, what we call copy services or the advertising kind of center of excellence. And I went up to Paul and I showed him that demo on white strips with my upper teeth. And so he was giving me coaching on how to write the concept because the product wasn't paying out at the time that we didn't have enough of a, a NPV to really move forward because of the investment and the cost of the product. And the price was only about, I think we were charging 15 to $19 conceptually at the time. And so Paul uh, said, well, Vince, the product really seems to work. I said, yeah, let me show you my teeth. He said, wow, that's a big <laughs> difference. And I said, he said, that's a bit more than white, whitening toothpaste. I said, yes, I use whitening toothpaste on the bottom. He said, really? And he says, well, is that story in your concept? And so I look at the concept and I look up to Paul. This halo goes around Paul at the time. I'm like, no, Paul, that's not the concept. I guess we should put that in there. <laughs> so we built in a before and after demo with whitening strips, white strips versus whitening, whitening toothpaste. And then we put the price, we tested everything up to $200. And after that concept, as we were able to charge $44 for the product, that's kind of the sweet spot, $44. I don't know how that became the sweet <laughs> spot. And the products, the economics just, it was, a, it was, it worked miracle on economics because you're, you're charging $44 instead of, instead of 18. And because people saw that difference in benefit and we didn't lose any purchase intent with that change in price. So I give, I tell that because it wasn't easy getting to the end result and it depended on people like Paul and the product development people who worked out the stability of the product. So it would last longer because we couldn't get into real stores. We had to sell on the internet at first. So behind every success are a lot of mini failures that kind of lead up to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and collecting that data from people finding advice, getting that perspective, which I think is just funny, a very funny phrase to me that I've never said in my career is let me show you my teeth, <laughs> which I think is really funny. But again, like yes, showing yeah. and hearing that and for them to say, no, make that part of the pitch and, and bring that into the story, I think is is fantastic. And so I'm curious about how you how you make decisions about roles and things, whether it was PNG or otherwise, because after rising through the ranks, general manager with with PNG, then you go to Samsung and then to Diageo and BET and now at Amex, what factors go into making a decision like that? How do you know it's time for something new? You know, I wish it was as well planned out as it may, it may seem <laughs> looking in, in, in hindsight, but the PNG career, I told people in, as I would coach brand manager college and, 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 and teach different sessions, I always said my career, every assignment at PNG was the best assignment ever of my life. So after fixing it to go to NyQuil and then I worked I got a chance to work under Kirk Perry. That was game changing. Uh, he was my brand manager. And then I go, but every assignment was just because people said, hey, how about this job? It wasn't, and it wasn't ever me saying, hey, I want to go get an international assignment. I want to work in beauty. There were people, Kirk brought me over to, to, to NyQuil. And that was the good part of fixing it was that I learned a lot. The bad part of fixing it is that I almost got fired. And I had to go on a performance plan and it mm. was, Hey Vince, you're, you're doing, you know, you're, you're doing the work, but we need to see you leading the thinking more. And I was like, what do you, I'm <laughs> leading the, how do you want me to lead the thinking? I'm, I'm doing the work. Right. But then I got some tips from John Steiker, who was a senior ABM. And John said, Vince, I know the feedback you got. And if you want to stay and try to get through this thing, I can give you some hints. And he said, just do like I do. 
And I, he said, when you have a me, he said, because John was kind of golden child, right? You mm-hmm. know, around the, he was Harvard undergrad guy. And he said, when you have meetings, talk to your manager about what you're going to accomplish in the meeting. And then after the meeting, you come back and tell your manager, you accomplished what you said you were going to accomplish. And you, <laughs> and you tell the people in the meeting what you want to accomplish. And after the meeting, you tell them that, did we accomplish what we said? And, you, and he gave me like, I call it this 10, like John Steiker tips. And so, and so I said, you know what? I'll just give that a shot. So I, and I, I just change really behavior, it, it, not thinking, but really behavior. And I said, this is the pattern of what people want to see. And I, I gave them that and it got me to a stable place. And then Kirk Perry saw that kind of me spiraling a bit over there and said, I'll take Vince on my team. And I don't know why he would sign up for that, <laughs> right? A person who's just been spiraling a bit and having to get coaching and, and I only knew Kirk from playing on the softball team, and I was a terrible softball player. <laughs> so I don't know what so it wasn't even like I, I need to keep you mind. on the team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But Kirk was great. He created a special team. There was no team like that. I called him Captain Kirk because he had the Star Trek Enterprise. He had a, I was a young black single guy. He had the MBA guy on the team, sharpshooter, had young divorced mom with two kids that was on the team, my friend. And then admin who lived like locally in Kentucky, Jewish woman on the team that worked. So we were all, I don't know, maybe it was just like in a big social experiment, <laughs> but it was, but Kirk had, and we just loved being on that brand together. We learned so much from each other. The business results followed. We just had so much fun just as a family within P&G coming together and experiencing very different lives. But it was just a, uh, it's an awesome moment. I always look back at under Kirk's kind of vision. Yeah. And so I want to step back to that, that kind of advice that you got from that mentor that around, Hey, it's not just the work that you do, but you kind of have to say, this is the work that we've done. And my days at PNG is a little bit around that. It's not just your performance, but also your kind of image and exposure, how much people are seeing. And so as a leader now, I guess, what role does that type of thing play? Because for me as an engineer, I'm kind of like, no, if I just do the work, shouldn't that be enough? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. at PNG, you realize, and in the world, it's not always enough because people are so busy. But how does that translate into the guidance you give to, to leaders now and you're in a more senior role? Well, I think working in a field of perception management, that's what we do, right? We, we, we manage the perception of a brand to an audience. There, you can't help but have some of that translate into managing your perception of leadership in in the company. And so I use the marketing example of marketing yourself. So I don't, I try to stay away from style and go do like walk like John walks. (laughs) But if you think about what do you want to stand for, what do you want to be the attributes that are closely associated with you and top of mind? You need to manage that. And it all starts with excellent performance, understanding the insights better than anyone, understanding the brand data, the business data better than anyone. And that plus the kind of perception marketing and management, I think that's the the dual path to a successful career. And you have to do that internally while you're in one company. So I had to do that within P&G. But then it becomes especially important when people look at you in other companies, what are you going to be known for? What are going to be those areas that you kind of stand out on? Yeah. And and so that's a great question. What what would you say you've built kind of around? What are you known for? What what was it that people are kind of drawn to with the Samsung Diageo BT American Express? What what are what are you kind of known for that people are like, oh, we need that? Yeah, it's kind of it's evolved. So I think the my experience at PNG was very atypical because I bounced around so much within Proctor from healthcare to beauty to international assignment to working on the Costco team. I did a e-commerce stint in call it 97. My first brand manager job was a PNG brand manager of e-commerce, right? How <laughs> I was what, 25 and in hindsight, you would never entrust a 25 year old with the company <laughs> strategy for e-commerce, but because it was so broad I had a chance to tell stories about a couple of things, digital and e-commerce, big brand launches, right? And a shopper focus. And then I combined that with international at some point. So that just happened to be exactly what people on the outside 
one international shopper, kind of big, kind of in that traditional, that traditional brand management across a range of different products. So my schizophrenia dancing around different spots within PNG, it it actually on the out in PNG it doesn't. It's great to be an expert in laundry at PNG. You rise up the ranks probably faster than I rose up the ranks, but. The outside world likes that that variance of experience. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I I wanted to ask about because at least, and maybe this was me growing up in Cincinnati, you know, the home of of PNG's headquarters and a few other companies where it's kind of like you get a, a job there and then you're kind of you just do that for your entire career. You stay at one job, you retire in that job, etc. And conventional wisdom sometimes says, oh, well, if you're going to start a role, you need to be in it for like a long time. But for you, you've had some of these roles that are a little bit on the shorter side, but still have had success. So is that just, is that, does that advice still hold true? Is it kind of an outdated view? Is it right for some people, but not for others? Yeah, you hate to hear the answer. It depends a lot, but I think (laughs) it does depend. And I think it's all about what are you changing? What are you changing forever? Right. So if I, if I go back to my, my passion is I like to, change things forever and for good, right? And for good, literally meaning for good, meaning forever and for good, meaning better than they were before. And if I look at even experiences on Pepto-Bismol, the task there wasn't launching a big new product like White Strips or Prolisec. It wasn't one of those big, sexy brands. It had been around a long time, but there's always an aha moment. So I encourage everyone, find that shift. What is that one shift on the brand? And if you make that shift, which is going to be based on the insight, so stay close to CMK or whatever they call research now. (laughs) What is the biggest shift? The one thing you can change that would create the biggest shift. And on Pepto, you get a chance to play around, like you understand what it is. And the, the shift on Pepto was that most people thought Pepto worked for the symptom that they grew up on, that their mom and their dad gave them Pepto for. So said, oh, it's Pepto's for upset stomach. Oh, Pepto's for diarrhea. Oh, Pepto's for kind of heartburn. And so, but no one put it all together that Pepto is actually for five things, right? So one product for five things. And so we looked at the data and we said, well, if people just use Pepto for one more thing, what, you know, what, a, what, what business growth we could achieve was, was, was great. So the uncovering it is one thing, right? And I get excited even by uncovering it. So I, my excitement moment comes one in the uncovering of it. And then the second comes in, how do you deliver that to the consumer? And the brief Lisa Miller at the time, she was the, I was, I guess, marketing director and she was brand manager on Pepto. And so we wrote the brief on a pink ball and the brief to the agency simply went one product, five symptoms. And then on the back, we wrote it in Spanish, whatever the Spanish translation is for the <laughs> Spanish agency. And so we gave the, the brief and the agency, they came back with a typical PNG spot of like a mom and she gives it to one kid for something else and she gives it to other kid for something else. And then we reveal at the end, it's for everything, right? And then the other spot they came back with the board, they didn't have a board at all. They Five agency creatives marched in the room wearing clown outfits, <laughs> and I'm the marketing director. Yeah. So we have the, you know, how you go in order and comment the assistant brand manager, then the brand manager, then the marketing director. And they walked in the count, the clown outfits and they danced nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea, yay, Pepto-Bismol. And they did it and repeated it and they repeated it. And, and then the ABM looks at me at the times like I'm not with that look of I'm not going to touch this with <laughs> right so instead of going in order I just jumped in while I said look well it's on strategy <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so but it's kind of weird but it was so on strategy straight down the middle and provocative that we put it into a test and PNG was pretty conservative at the time so we had to test that versus the typical PNG commercial and it just blew the doors off both creatives scored well but this had so much engagement and I want to see again and so we ran with that one and it changed that was what 15 20 years and then they brought back that same campaign recently um that the same Pepto dance back, but that's, I get excited over the, so when you, I tell people growing up, find that magic thing that can unlock growth 
and then bring it to life brilliantly. Those that's the that's the secret sauce, I think, with this, these brand jobs. Yeah, what a fascinating story. And I can see why people kind of look to you in the room as a senior kind of person in the room. People are probably like, I kind of maybe enjoy this clown thing, but also can I say that? Am I la- as a PD person? Can I say that? We're gonna see what Vince says. Vince? Okay. All right. Now we can all be in agreement of that. But I love kind of what you say that find that thing and and find a way to to bring it to life in a unique way. And just that question of what are you changing forever, I think is is a really cool statement for people to kind of take away. And now a word from our sponsor. Today, we're talking to Lauren Lovelady, co-founder of Each and Every. Each and Every is a natural beauty brand founded on the philosophy that each and every ingredient matters. So Lauren, I've got to ask, how'd you get into launching your own beauty brand? Beauty is a passion area of mine. It's what I've spent my whole career doing. And I'm somewhat of a product junkie, always trying new things. In a couple of years ago, I really made a conscious effort to clean up my routine and really get more intentional about what I was using on my body. Um, there are a lot of ingredients out there that have you know, bad press or questionable reputations, and I wanted to just understand what was in the products that I was using so that I could be sure it was safe to use. And that exercise was surprisingly hard. Um, I'm not a chemist. I don't know all of the chemistry behind products, but some of the ingredient names are really long and confusing. The ingredient lists are really long and it took a surprising amount of time and research and really a lot of inconclusive information to even find out what I was using in my products. So in all the research you were doing, what was the kind of weirdest or most fun ingredient name that you found out about? One of the most surprising to me was fragrance. Um, So fragrance is an ingredient that has been protected as a trade secret in the industry for many years. And it shows up on an ingredient statement as one ingredient, but can actually be, you know, several thousand ingredients that are make up a fragrance component. So it's not transparent and you really don't know what you're putting on your body when you put fragrance in there. And that was very surprising to me because I thought fragrance was just one thing, but it's actually thousands of things that make up fragrance. So what makes each and every so special then? Yeah. So we're founded on the philosophy that each and every ingredient matters. And what that means for us is that every single ingredient we use, we verify that it's safe before it goes into our product. We also disclose every single ingredient, including fragrance. So all of our scents are made with essential oils that are fully disclosed on our package. And we also have a simple name for all of the chemical names that are in the product. So the legal required name also comes accompanied with a simple name, like for example, It may say magnesium carbonate, that's actually just dead sea salt, so that you know exactly what you're putting on your body. So how many different each and every products are there? We have 12 cents of deodorant right now. We just launched fragrance a couple of months ago, so we have three fragrances, and then we're working on some new categories coming in the future. What's your favorite? My favorite is deodorant, just because I think that the performance of it far outweighs any other natural deodorant on the market. And I actually mix up my scents every day depending on my mood. So, you know, some days I wear lavender and lemon. Other days I feel like juniper and mint. Um, It really just depends on kind of my vibe for the day. That's awesome. So if folks want to find out more about Each and Every, where can they they learn more? Sure. They can find out more on our website, eachandevery.com. And we also have a special promo for listeners of the podcast. You can use code PGALUMS to save 30% off your first order. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thanks so much and best of luck out there. Thank you. And now back to our show. You've said in a couple of interviews and also your Instagram profile says marketing, hip hop and love. I'm assuming those things are (laughs) things that you enjoy. I know I I do my research. I didn't know you could see a person's Instagram without actually being their friend. I got to learn about technology. Yeah, you're going to you're going to you're going to have to turn (laughs) yours to private or something. What is that? Yes. So marketing an an interview. But yeah. So what do those three things mean to you? Marketing, hip hop and love. My my passions. And this has been I think I first probably defined them in my early 20s at P&G, because, of course, at P&G, there's always three things. Right. There's always three three rationale points or three three things you bring out. And so my life has kind of been intermingled with brand management so long. I kind of said, well, Vince, what are your three things? And my three things are my passions. And and I define a passion is what you get way more excited about, learning about, studying about. You never tire of reading about it and hearing about it versus the statistical norm. And for me, that's marketing and hip hop which I got the bug really early, Louisiana on, and, and love. And it's love as the 
concept of love, the, the idea and concept and practice and theory, academic concept of love. Okay. And so we've talked some some marketing. I'm curious from from the hip hop side, is it a taking in? Is it a studying? Is that, I mean, part of the it, reason for BAT, like in terms of that assignment coming in? Do those intersections come? Those are good intersections. I think the, the piece I love about hip hop is lyricism. So like on, on my Sirius XM, I go from hip hop to Sinatra, the Frank Sinatra station. I play that one. And then I play a bit of country music and then I go to the blues station because what I love, I love lyrics that tell stories. And so that's why I love hip hop because to be able to combine words in such a way that where they still rhyme, but they also tell a story and provoke these images. That's why I love hip hop. So it's hip hop is poetry. It's really lyrics is the double click into hip hop for me. And it's just a, some, it's an amazing piece of creativity. And so I love that, the creativity in it. And I grew up listening to hip hop at PNG. Of course, you have to have intellectual debates using a kind of a PNG rationale of a brand reco on who's the greatest of all time. So I put together, <laughs> here's my recommendation or my, on why Jay-Z is the greatest rapper of all time. And I did this way back when he put out his second album. So I, I, now everybody kind of aligns with that. But I was in some intense debates with some other brand managers at the time. Oh, for sure. I've had plenty of conversations around your Mount Rushmore of of hip hop or different genres and things like that. I would say Jay-Z is up there as well. I, I would add Kendrick. Yes. For sure. And Tupac and Biggie. So I, that's a rabbit hole yeah, that we could that's absolutely. Basically the, that's basically their Mount Rushmore. Right, we'll that's the one. So that's I don't have one. to argue. I don't have to argue, except you got to throw in some care of us, but that's the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, and, and it's interesting because it goes back to, I mean, your, your passion around growing up, wanting to be a scientist. And then, like you said, you love the discovery of the brand and, and even, I don't know, and I see this in comedy because I do stand up and improv. To me, comedy in some ways, poetry and stuff, it, it's sometimes the discovery of language in fun ways. It's almost a logic problem that you're solving. I've said with comedy, it's kind of like a math with words. And so, you know, maybe there is that kind of intersection. I think that's a great, it's a great analogy because I think in comedy too, in poetry and rhyme, you're, you have a story to tell, but then you have to figure out how to bring it to life mm -hmm. in a way that the audience gets it, what's in your mind to their mind. And I think it's very fitting with marketing, right? First, I have to get it, right? I have to understand why Crest White Strips is going to have a point of difference versus every other thing out there. I have to understand why Pepto has a point of difference. And, and once I get it, as a marketer, I have to plan out the sequential steps. How am I going to let everyone else get it, right? And how am I going to put together the words in just the right way and the strategy and then get the agency to bring it to life? And, and I think it's very similar, either comedy or hip hop or marketing. How do you get the other person that's not in your brain to know what's in your brain and act on it? Right. That's the same. And I think all three of those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And so kind of connecting then to this, the passion for love, the concept, the idea of it, and even what you just spoke about of kind of connection with someone else and getting something that's in your head into someone else or sharing it. Maybe with that comes empathy. It's something that we, it seems like we could use a lot more of these days. And so with, with everything going on between COVID and protests and otherwise, what role do you feel as a business leader, what role do you feel you play as a business leader in either speaking to that or trying to make cultural change, if any? So with the reason, and it kind of goes back to the love piece, right? So the reason I have love is one of those three. I was in my mom's house and I was, she, my mom has a lot of books. She, she loves to read different topics and she, she has a lot of religious books. And this one book was called The Greatest Thing in the World. A little bitty, I think, blue book, The Greatest Thing in the World. So I'm like, when I go home from college, I would always look at her shelf or when I go from PNG and, and see what book is next and just kind of be inspired to pick one. So something grab it, the greatest thing in this world. I was like, what could that be? The greatest thing in the world. And why, who, who would be, who have the audacity to make such a bold statement of the greatest mm -hmm. thing in the world? So I picked the book up and of course it's about love. It's like love is the greatest thing. So, and it, and it goes through a kind of another record PNG rationale for why <laughs> love is the, you know, I'm, I like, I can't separate myself mm -hmm. from that PNG record format. Right. But I love, he said, why would love be the greatest thing in the world? 
And so it proved it, right? Like a scientist proving evidence. And so it, P&G, as I listened to the question about the 10-year-old wanting to be a scientist and P&G, P&G is basically the science of brand management. It's, it's proving things out, right? You have to prove it, sell it in. And this love piece, I think, is, you know, if I have to spend my time studying something, right, why not study the greatest thing in the world? And so I've, I've dedicated, I've, I've read about love, talk about love, preach about love. And at the times we're going through right now, there's a quote that goes, no matter what the question is, love is the answer. Another version is love is the answer. Who cares what the question is? <laughs> and I think it's true because right now, when you're thinking about the COVID pandemic, Love is the answer. And I, and I def, there's a book called The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. And it defines love as four things, knowledge, care, respect, and then responsibility, right? And so when something happens like COVID, you have to learn about it. You have to care for your people around it. Respect the disease because it can kill people, right? And you have to be responsible, right, for your family. So that formula always kind of works. And when it comes to the protest, I think it's a big awakening. And I think the reason why love is a favorite topic of mine is whether it was a thousand years ago or whether it's a thousand years from now, it's still going to be the where everyone gravitates to. So I think what we're doing right now with the protest is we're just unlearning stuff that we learned. Because if I look at my daughter's, I have three three daughters, and they're five, seven, and nine. And when they play with kids, and I've seen them grow when they play with kids, it is just our instinct as humans to connect with other people. And it's not about color or difference. It's about what you like to play, which Lego goes where, yeah. and let's play catch. It's, it is as simple as that. And so our instinct in nature, I think, is aligned with the source of love. And the end point being love and just play, because that is what we're designed to do. But then I think we get taught things because we're up against inertia and see this inertia is one of the strongest forces ever because we're in a society that has inertia that's been built up from 400 years of people coming together that didn't come together on purpose. Right. And so, and having this country built around that that dynamic and so the inertia and thinking that created that dynamic is still there it has to be unlearned and so what we're seeing now is what used to be okay is gonna start to not be okay and that's how this that's that's the simplest way i put it so what used to be okay with slavery and this goes back to marketing right it's all about visuals so slavery catastrophic situations and then Uncle Tom's Cabin showed the North in visuals and storytelling, right? What was going on? It goes back to what we talked about, Andrew, of changing people's perceptions, right? So Uncle Tom's Cabin figured out how to tell the story and they showed it in the North. Then that said, wow, this is not okay anymore. So let's make that not okay, right? And then in the 60s when video was out, right? And you could, not through a book, but through video. So technology has a role. Technology showed water hoses and dogs being used on people that are marching non-violently during protests. And the, the uh, people looked at that perception. So your audience looked at your content, right? And said, oh, that, that's not okay. It used to be okay. Right. But that's not going to be OK anymore. Right. And so I think we're just now we see what happened with George Floyd and just like slavery and just like the dynamics in the 60s, these things have been going on. But then there's there hits a point that it gets visualized in a certain incidence. And then it becomes, you know what, that's not OK. But the difference now is there's another quote that goes. Everything has already been said, but not yet by everyone. And that's what is happening in this latest movement is that people have said that's not okay, 
but not everyone said it. So now what you're seeing is everyone, meaning 60, you know, I saw something in the news that 54% of the people agreed with the intent of the protest. So we've hit that critical mass where at least 54% <laughs> are saying, you know, that's not okay. And that number was 28% probably when I was growing up in this in the seven in the seven and then it was 14 percent in the 60s but now we've reached that point where in in bergen county we we went with my three daughters saying black lives matter signs and love love wins you know my daughters catch on to this love thing too right (laughs) and they're marching and they're the minorities in the march for minority (laughs) interest just like it's just this odd dynamic but people are saying as humans that's not okay so we're all awakening to the fact that we're that those kids are right those kids that are just playing with each other and just because who's best at putting together the logo that's kind of how the teams are chosen not based on anything else that's what we're trying to get back to as adults yeah wow what a incredible answer and i think to like you said that critical mass so for me it was and it's kind of a i'm ashamed at how long it took but part of it like you said is that critical mass and just reading enough now and educating myself of like learning that silence never helps the oppressed, right? It only helps the oppressor. And so like you said, everything's been said, but maybe not by everyone having enough more people to realize, oh no, I need to, I need to also speak out about this. And I'm, I am impressed you're able to also bring in that intersection of, of those things and including marketing and that kind of framing of it. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. So I think... And it's interesting because as you say that marketing is there and also technology, right? So you can't talk marketing now without talking technology. And I got that bug early on doing that, that early e-commerce and work, but technology with the printed word, with video in the 60s, with social media now... It's been story, it's content and the latest technology. So why the Globe participate? The one, one of the best examples to me was the K-pop fans that were actually kind of intervening on the protesters' behalf. I think that is an example of now the world, we can get to that 54% and the public opinion of the world can kind of have an opportunity to vote. They didn't have that opportunity in the mid-1800s and the mid-1900s, but now the world can see things and vote and participate because of technology. So there's it's content, it's technology and insight as to what is right and what's going to be okay. And I think we've hit a big inflection point. Absolutely. Well, this has been fantastic, Vince. We have a couple of just kind of quick rapid fire questions to wrap things up. One is, and I may know the answer, but what's your kind of form of either escape or stress management relief? Is it books, movies, podcasts, TV shows, something else? All of the above, I say, but definitely listening to hip hop and uh, and all music. But then I think the other one recently is golf. So I'm not where I want to be in golf. And and most golfers would say that, (laughs) but it's definitely a a passion also. Now I said, I'd call it at least a strong interest. I don't know if it makes my top three, but it's a strong interest. So I enjoy all the courses out here in Bergen County. All right. Very nice. And so, so with hip hop, anyone that you're resonating with kind of recently, you've already shared some of those, but anyone that's kind of on repeat more than others right now? You know, I think it's been an interesting change in tied to this protest movement. The thing about rap has always had every type of story being told, right? They're the kind of social advanced rappers like Harris one advancing different causes and public enemy. And then you have just more of the kind of sing song and happy rappers out there. But the interesting turn is that there's a rapper, his name is Lil Baby. And he has a song called The Bigger Picture. And it talks about that he's talking about the George Floyd instance, but he's saying basically you have to start somewhere. You might as well start right here because it's been a hell of a year. <laughs> so yeah. he said, you got to start this positive movement. You might as well start right here. So, and he even talked about how he has to change what he talks about to try to advance, advance culture. So this, this has been awakening in a lot of different areas. Wow. So you grew up in Shreveport in Louisiana, but now live in the Northeast. Any kind of Louisiana style food that you really miss? Oh, gumbo and greens. I think everything starts with a G. Gumbo and greens and would be what I miss because I grew up eating my family like specialized in greens. I had every different type of greens and cooked in every different way and as a ritual. And then gumbo more from my New Orleans times. The gumbo ingredients aren't as easy to find up here, but those are great. 
I like it. And if you could do a podcast interview or sit down for coffee with anyone on the planet, who would it be? Definitely Jay-Z. Yeah. Because it combines a couple of things, hip hop one, but also just in society and figuring out with the back half of our lives, what impact could people make in partnership around different fields that people are in. And then Jay-Z with his influence and intellect could be a good person to hear from. Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, the, he has that that marketing angle as well. He's done yeah. done well with that. And, He's and, done pretty well. Yeah, he, yeah. he actually talked to P&G. It was a, I was in Seattle and he had a, I think I think it was Microsoft that had a summit on leadership or whatever. And they had, and P&G people were attending and I didn't rank enough at the time to get to <laughs> get an invite, but it was, Jay-Z actually spoke. And so all of my P&G friends were texting me and the leaders and mentors were texting me, you won't believe who's speaking to us right now. And of course, I was extremely jealous. But Jay-Z's message at the time was find your truth. And so his equity and his kind of purpose is around truth. And he he doesn't make up stuff in his rhyme. He talks about his truth. And that's what's kept him consistent and had a point of difference. And I think that's another overlap between kind of this hip hop and brand and, and find that truth and stick to it. And so that'd be a good coffee conversation with yeah. Jay-Z now. <laughs> Absolutely. And last question for you is if you had any final piece of advice or wisdom or perhaps even a challenge that you'd give to the next generation of leaders, what would it be? I think I say find your the book Good to Great calls it a hedgehog concept, I believe, but I, I call it your sweet spot triangulation between what can you be the best at, what can you be passionate about, and what can you make a living by doing the living that you want. So those three questions are the questions to ask when it comes to your career, money, passion, and capability, I'd say. And so the earlier in life you can find your sweet spot in those three, the longer in life you'll have to enjoy it. That'll be it. That is a fantastic piece of advice for everyone. Well, Vince, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, Andrew, thanks a lot. My pleasure. And that's our show. Like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's episode. Every single person right now is living history. So as I work with my team, we have the chance to be part of that history and to truly evolve our business. So whether that be how do we work together, how will we be a high-touch brand or a high-touch company during a no-touch time? Honestly, I don't know what this is going to look like yet, but I think that's the exciting part because every day it is changing so much and so rapidly that time will tell. That's it for this week. I've been Andrew Tarvin. And I'm still Roman Segel. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.